This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Eric Cornell. Love Welcome, Eric. Effects. Thanks. Thanks. So uh, again, I always give a little background on how I met the person that I'm talking to or why they're on the show today. And, uh, you know, initially when I had gone independent, I had met you, I want to say something like four or five months after I'd gone independent. Yeah, yeah, I think you would just transitioned a few months earlier, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And you were actually on your second kind of look at the firm and you were you had already looked, you were with partners actually initially when you looked at the end of the day, that partnership didn't work out and you decided, Hey, I still want to look, but now I think I'm going to go on my own. And what was interesting about your situation was when you're recruiting and you're looking for advisors and you were somebody I was looking at potentially joining my team that they're normally in or they're out. And if they're in, they keep going, yeah. but, but you went away for a while. And I think you were exploring the Ameriprise independent side and looking through that a little Correct, bit. Correct. Yeah. And thinking that might be an easier approach to first get into, which I'm gonna have you talk a little bit more about. And then all of a sudden it was like eight months went by and I would talk to Joe every once in a while. I'd be like, Hey Joe, what's going on with Eric? Like, I haven't heard from him. Like, oh, I, guess we, I, guess, I guess Joe's not coming aboard. Cause normally that's what happens. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. The person was away and, uh, and you called us, I want to say like during like Thanksgiving and be like, Hey, Evan, I haven't forgotten about you. I think we're coming aboard in a couple months. And yeah, we're like, yeah. whoa, yeah. what's going on? So it was a, a cool introduction. And you just, your one year anniversary just went by. Yeah. Yeah. July 31st of 2022. So take us back a little bit. When did you get started in the business? What roles were you in? You were with Ameriprise pretty much your whole career prior. Yeah, 21 years up until the time of transition. Yeah. So it's a long-term relationship there. Yeah. But yeah, I started in Philadelphia, started back in 2000, got licensed through American Express Financial Advisors at that point and had a lot of good success, early success in the career. Uh, brought on a lot of clients, but got really groomed for more of a leadership role. At the ripe old age of 24, I was uh, relocated to Long Beach, California, took over that office as a district manager. Built hey, that. I got your series 24 then? No, at the time you didn't need it okay. uh, because they had somebody, a, a field vice president who was actually overseeing multiple offices that did that. Got it. And with the help of a great team, we actually did really great things there. And I got, got, got the reputation to uh, somebody who could turn offices around and really start to rebuild culture and get people recruited on board and uh, and yeah, and, and they reached out to me after about four years and asked me about relocating to Florida, which at the time was really imploding the office in, in Boca. And uh, so it came back to the East coast, decided what year? that this was 2007, okay. 2007 and uh, ran the uh, Boca Raton office for about a year and a half. And, uh, and then decided on our honeymoon with my wife, uh, decided that I was going to go back into personal practice because we wanted to have some freedom, not have to work 80, 90 hours a week anymore. And that, that got me here and then started a practice and the rest is history. That, that was obviously some sort of income hit. Big one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It went from mid hundreds to 150, 170,000, all the way back to 70 grand. So that was starting back in 09. That was back in uh, 08 actually. 08. Yeah. So yeah. you started with basically no assets. Zero and, assets, zero clients. And just started ramping up. That's correct. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you were with Ameriprise for long. And obviously when you're in a firm, Merrill Lynch as an example, you get stuck to the culture of the firm a little bit. You've been independent now for a year. Yeah. And I've already seen you thaw a little bit from it, but yeah. not fully thaw yet. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, you were there for a long time. Do, do you notice that in your, in yourself? Like, I, I do. Things? Yeah. Now it's instead of showing up in suit and suits every day, it's if I don't, if I don't have any appointments or any appointments that, you know, with new clients, prospective clients, I'm, I'm dressed in the polo and the jeans and, you know, it's nice to be casual. Nice to be casual. And when you made the move, you initially were thinking of going to Ameriprise independent and you know, what 
obviously you started with the partners about going independent at some point. What year did that start where you started going, this employee channel thing is not for me? I guess I would say probably 2016, primarily because we were in a spot where we were just getting, we were doing probably 2 million, 2 million in production, getting a lot of pushback for a lot of different things. Really nothing that was, in our opinion, relevant. They have seven people sign off on a UPS going out. Yeah. When you're a $2 million producer and they're taking 50% of that for override. Uh, was not real exciting to us. And so that's when we really, uh, when I started heavily looking into the independent route. And then over time, it was just making sure that we had all our T's cross I's dotted, knew what different firms had different strengths, what strengths those were, how they played into our business at the time. Uh, and, and just collected that information over a period of years, really. And although some of it changes, a lot of it doesn't. I was looking at the leaderboard of top independent firms as far as assets and revenue. I saw this on, what's that email we get, I get every morning? I, I don't know if you get it too. I think it's Financial Advisor yeah. Digest yep. or yep. Magazine. Yep. And there's always a headline on there and you're like, oh, that's a tap headline. Yeah. So I, I went on there and Ameriprise, surprisingly, was number two in assets on their independent side. But from our conversations in the past, that independent side is not purely independent. Can you talk a little about, about that experience? Yeah. And, and this was actually a, something that probably sent us closer to the finish line with some other firms because of it. Uh, but uh, having worked at the firm for uh, Ameriprise for 20 years, we would all, we were always told, and that, this was from the very beginning, is the, the idea was you stay in the P1 or the employee channel for a couple of years, and then the expectation is that you go to the franchise channel or what they called the independent channel. And randomly, I got on a plane that was headed, I think, out west, uh, and I just, by chance, uh, happened to sit next to a, a gentleman. I was reading a book at the time called Succession Planning, and he had noticed the title. And he asked me, he was, you know, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, Hey, are you an advisor? I was like, yeah, I am. I, I've been doing this for a while. He said, I've read that book. It's a good book. He said, what, what firm are you with? And I said, Ameriprise. And he said, me too. Come to find out he was working out of, I think it was St. Louis, no, Kansas city. And, uh, and he had been with the franchise channel in the franchise platform for 20 years. And so I started asking him some questions and lo and behold, I ended up uh, asking, I've been re recently, I've been looking at some other firms, the, the payouts are obviously higher and your haircut is lower at some of these other, uh, at some of these other companies. Why do you continue to stay with Ameriprise? And his answer to me was my market group has a very aggressive retention strategy. And I said, well, what do you mean? They're your clients. You know, all you got to do is change the name on the door. And he said, oh no, that's not, that's not how it works. He said, there's a reason why they call it a franchise and they, and they, and the, that it's not called independent and come to find out after 20 years of being told one thing. And then finally being told by somebody who was in the role that, listen, you don't own your clients ever. So if the only way that you own your clients is that if you sell the, your practice within Ameriprise, which you'd have, yeah, you have to sell to an Ameriprise advisor. Correct. Yeah. And, yeah. and that just blew me away. I, that was a, that was a very. Uh, impactful moment for me, knowing that I essentially felt like I'd been lied to for 15 years. So interesting. And was the PL also not as good as you you were thinking? As Correct. Yeah. 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 The the haircuts they take global admin fees. There, it's not only based on the size of your practice, but it's also based on the size of the client's accounts. You know, I, I recently met with them, one of the, one of my friends from the from Ameriprise, and and he was telling me his haircut on his managed money is 20 basis points. Yeah. You know, which is out. It's ridiculous. It's, it, it's outrageous. Yeah. It's crazy. And the so. franchise fees actually, I think that's also almost proprietary to Ameriprise and the fact that I don't think there's other independent firms that charge a, yeah. a franchise fee. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, 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 interesting what Wells Fargo is now coming out with this and, and not saying that theirs is going to be the same or different, but it's things to look out for oh, and, yeah. and things to search. Actually, we had somebody on yesterday, we were talking about 
the P&L. And you might want to talk about that a little bit too, as far as when you were looking at the different firms to potentially go independent, you really have to look at what those hidden fees are and those hidden layers are because that 90 to 95% payout, when you're doing a million to yeah. 2 million in production, you would think you would you could get that easily. And the truth and is- And you do, but not after everything else. Not after everything else, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, they definitely uh, make it a point to leave that those, point, that, those parts out. Yeah, and, and when you're growing, especially, and you're trying to establish your independent firm, your numbers could easily go into the 50s, 60s net after employees, rent, and phones, and Absolutely, all, all yeah. that good stuff. Absolutely. Taxation could be a little different, obviously, which is always a, a, a positive. Yeah. Now, you interest, interestingly made the move, like, after the pandemic, but still people were scared. People were just getting their vaccines. Yeah, it was actually an opportune moment for us. Number one, and again, you can look at glass half full, glass half empty, right? But glass half full is people weren't seeing people in the offices. Even the people, as they were coming after our clients, trying to retain them, inviting them in for a meeting to sit down and go over anything was impossible, which helped us out a lot, I think. And in that said, I also leaned on the fact that, hey, listen, our office is open. We can actually have people come in. And, and if you want to come in, come on in see, and see us and make sure that you get a feel for the, the legitimate legitimacy of what we're doing in the office and in the practice. And you don't meet many holistic advisors out there. I think when you're in, when you are holistic with clients, everybody says they're holistic, yeah. but, but you as an advisor know that nine out of 10 are probably not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about financial planning? You're huge into it. I'm huge into it. You do something a little different than I do in the concept that um, you have things staggered where you sometimes will charge for planning uh, services depending Correct. upon the situation. Can you talk a little yeah, bit about absolutely. that? Absolutely. So we really try to give clients an option in regards to how their relationship is structured with us. And so when we do meet with a prospective client, and this goes for every client that we've met and have brought on since 2008, we give them some choices. And not everybody is, as much as we love the fact that we're referral only at this point, not everybody is running to the door saying, hey, take a million dollars and go manage it. So what we did is we gave them a little bit of a, a lesser barrier of entry, so to speak. And the way that we've structured it is we offer multiple relationships or types or the option of multiple relationships. Number one is financial planning, straight financial planning, where we we have designed a menu of services. It's three tier levels. One is extremely basic, which is going to be just the GPM software, the financial planning software that we use in our practice. Money Guide Pro. Yeah, Money Guide Pro. Yeah. And, and, and it's retirement planning focused. It's how much, how much, here's how much I have. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's my timeline. Am I saving enough? And are my investments essentially structured the right way from an asset allocation perspective? Um, now, there's no active management involved in that. It's basically advisory only. We take a look at it. Yes, you're good. Make some changes here. We'll see in six months. But again, a lot of people want that. They want the ability to know that they're on track. For that service, for that basic tier, tier one, we charge $1,850. $1,850. Has that changed from when you left to where you are now? No, not from what, so it's changed over the years. Yeah. I mean, the, we used to use it as a loss leader almost. Yes. Where it was, I think we started at $600, you know, and, and again, it was just more of a loss leader. It was like, listen, you get, you get the foot in the door, somebody's made a commitment, you get the data, you ha you're able to find out more about their situation and gather assets. Um, now, because of where we're at, it's more of a, hey, listen, we got to get paid for our time that we spent. Yeah. So that's where the figure comes in. It's a more of a how much on average hourly we spend on each case. And then we have tier two is the true comprehensive service. So it's going to be the current financial position. It's going to be tax planning. It's going to be investment planning, retirement, insurance evaluation, so on and so forth. And that is generally going to be four meetings a year. It's not versus the semi-annual. And we charge $29.50 for that. And then we have a very advanced service, which is mainly designed for business owners that are going to be 15 or more employees, senior executives with some relatively unique retirement plans, rabbi trusts, deferred comps, especially when they get stock options, NQSOs, ISOs, 
Um, and we charge 10,800 for that, but that we, we generally meet every other month. Uh, yeah. and that would be a face-to-face -face meeting. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's a, it's actually, it's a unique strategy because most financial planners wait till they have assets in before they start planning. And the truth is, I always think that's a bad approach because you want to get to know the client a little bit before you bring them on. And, Absolutely. And, and the fact that you give them a few different options gives them the flexibility and the feeling like, Hey, I like that option better than that. Yeah. Option. And then, yeah. And, and then obviously we do the asset management and they want to bring in assets. Great. We do charge both a financial planning fee and an asset management percentage for anything under 500,000. Yep. And once they hit 500,000, we provide that, that tier one level service of, for asset or for financial planning as an added value. As an added value. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Talk about your team. Now you're expanding, you're in your just over a year and you're bringing on people yep. uh, significantly. So talk a little bit about expansion and kind of what you've done so far. It's been, we have always been with the help of some great teammates. Mar Margaret Scaparotti is my director of operations. I have Josephine Tronaby, who's an analyst for us at this point or is m moving into that role. And then we have Catherine Jones, who's our front office manager. John is our business manager, et cetera. Um, but we've always been very big on the processes and systems and specifically around know how we operate the office on an ongoing basis, which makes it very scalable. And and when you have that system, those systems and processes in place and everybody's clear on their roles and responsibilities, it very it gets very easy to start to just plug people in and, and they can plug in and they can actually operate efficiently because everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And plug in means advisors giving them turnkey joining uh, the office. Yeah. Joining yeah. the office, having the giving them turnkey processes, marketing, et cetera, being in, I can't forget to mention Elena, my wife, who's our event planner, but again, yeah, just very, very streamlined the way that we've done it. And it, people appreciate that. They appreciate the ease of being able to make that transition. And that's given us the capabilities of being able to go out and market ourselves pretty efficiently in terms of Listen, there's not, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to set up the office. You don't need to figure out the phone system. You don't need to figure out HR. You got, you know, we have that. That's something that's available to you as soon as you, as soon as you start to work with us. Absolutely. And one of the niches, we always talk about niches in this business. It's, it's almost a niche to have a niche. One of your niches is that you like doing client events and you like doing them often. Yeah. Uh, probably monthly. I think you do a different client event and, and they're unique and they're fun. Can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts are there and how, how you decide who comes and who yeah, doesn't come? Yeah. And we've, and I'll premise this with, we've been referral only for probably six years now. And it's very important to us that, you know, when we do bring on a new client, that we have an endorsement of character and values from a current client. That's always been, that's been our, our main go-to. But yeah, when I was with Ameriprise, when we ran the offices, we did a lot of seminars. We did a lot of events on an ongoing basis. And, and eventually it, it transitioned into something called seminar series, which is, which was a monthly turnkey dinner that where we would have a wholesaler come in and be able to do a presentation about a particular product or strategy or just a, a, an item, an agenda item, but it was meant for the entire office. And if you wanted to invite people, you could, and they were, the price of admission really was to bring a friend or a guest. Um, now we don't do it that way anymore. We want, the fact is that we are, we've been able to continually acquire clients through referrals that are received from our current clients without those events. So those are, I would even deem it almost client appreciation to a certain extent. Now people do bring guests, of course, and they, and it's a very easy way to, to facilitate an introduction. Um, but what we, what we do is we make it, we latch on essentially to uh, an idea and we run with it. And, and you're right. We do it about monthly, but the idea, the premise behind that and the frequency was really based on those seminar series, which I actually helped design that marketing strategy for Ameriprise at a national level. And really it's, you find something that you can have that's fun, like you said. So for example, this month we have, we have a virtual tequila tasting that's coming up, uh, and where, where clients will let us know that they want to participate. 
we have the ability of providing their information to the to a uh, distillery and what they do is they send out the, the tequila they, there's two bottles of tequila that they'll get they can invite some guests over and then from there they sign on to a zoom meeting on a specific day at a specific time we have a tequila expert that gets on and does a 45 minute presentation about uh, on those two bottles of tequila um, so Fun, fun, fun event gets people involved, gets the weekend kicked off pretty nice. But we, the amount of, of traction that we get with introductions from that is people, everybody on Zoom. And if you notice somebody in the background and you follow up the next day with your client and say, hey, by the way, who was that? Yep. It, it generates a lot of, of good opportunities. And it's interesting. You call them client appreciation events. That's what they are. And as somebody myself that does these type of events, you get to a point where you don't need the referrals anymore because you've built that up. The younger generation of advisors that don't have that size book, that could be a huge advantage of getting clients around creating those relationships. Because at the end of the day, this is a relationship business. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you look at advisors, you've been in management. Now you're, you know, you were in the employee channel for a while. Obviously, when you're in the employee channel, you get to see the difference between good advisors and bad advisors. What are quite a bit? Yeah. Well, other than personality, what are the strengths of good advisors that the bad advisors don't have? Wow. That's a big question, but a good one. I guess right off the bat, my first impression would be probably processes, systems in place. One of the things that I think as advisors we do is we get caught up. We get engulfed in certain aspects of the business. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing that for a certain period of time, but when it starts to overwhelm us to the point where we forget what our actual main role is, which is asset gathering and giving clients advice, and then more advisors die than grow. So processes and systems are big. No, number two, I would say is, you know, they spend too much time trying to think about what they actually want to say. A lot, what, what you'll notice and something that, you know, that people notice about me is if you sat in 15 meetings with me, you would realize that pretty much everything I say is the same. It's different in different ways to different clients. But at the same time, if I have a message that I want to deliver, I deliver it the same way every time. So I don't have to think about it. You don't have to spend your time thinking. You can spend your time actually looking at somebody and reading their body language and keeping your ears open for referral opportunities. One thing that's interesting, and by the way, the third item that I would probably point out is where you spend your time. Meaning, do you spend your time on the areas that are going to make you the most money, right? Are you to spend your time on the areas that are going to be the most impactful from a business growth perspective? And, and with that, I would probably lead into referrals. Do you ask for referrals? Do you spend your time trying to generate referrals and introductions with clients that you currently have and you are happy? Or, or do you not? Do you never talk about it? What's interesting is like with, I, I, did a, I did a sample size and this was probably maybe eight years ago. I was big into tracking because I spent a lot of time in management. So that was something that was just ingrained in my head. But I spent an entire year trying to figure out or essentially ascertaining, was there a, a legitimate difference between people that were that, that called in, like referrals that were call-in referrals that clients had given them our name to and they called in and asked for an appointment and referrals that I had actually specifically asked, not unsolicited versus solicited. And what I found is over that year is that the clients that we brought on that were, re, that were solicited referrals generated five times more revenue than the ones that were unsolicited. So be it putting my putting myself in a position where I was able to actually identify people and identify opportunities as I was talking to clients during meetings to be able to solicit them for an introduction, it's just a better use of time. Uh, it ended up being a better use of time. And when you say solicit, does that mean you're calling the client? Or? No, no, more listening for names and people that they mention in stories that they're telling you where you say, oh, by the way, you, you mentioned Bob earlier. Do you think Bob would be open to a conversation with me? It sounds like you're, you two are pretty close. Yeah. So that that's the solicited part. Now, and then sometimes it, normally what I'll tell them is, listen, let, let me have Bob's number. And if you could do me a favor, ask him if he's open to a 10 minute phone call. And if he is, great. And, and But I'm not going to call him until I hear from you. 
Yeah. So it's a warm, it's a warm lead. Correct. Basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. No, it ma- ma- makes a lot of sense. I, there's different schools of thought on, on how you do it. And Practice size makes a big difference too. You're you're managing eight hundred million dollars. You get to a point where you can only you, you don't want referrals anymore. <laughs> you, you, you want oh, you only want certain ones. You want right? you only want certain ones. Yeah. And, that, uh, and I always I might have said it to you. I, I always find that I only take referrals by or I'm not taking any more referrals this year. If somebody came to you with ten million dollars, are you going to work say, with them? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Michael yeah. Jordan comes to you and says, "Hey, Eric, I'd like you to." you know, put a hundred million away for me. Can you do it? No, no, Michael. I'm not taking on anybody this year. Yeah, I'm not not taking on anybody. Yeah, sure. Okay. It's great marketing, but at the end of the day, conceptually, you're putting your clients in their best, best foot forward. And if you do that, the clients are going to be very open to giving you referrals, ask for it or not. And maybe you get more when you do ask, right? Uh, yeah, um, a few more, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Is there anything we did not get to on this podcast that if you wanted to, you're speaking to advisors from everywhere, the insurance channel, bank channel, independent channel. If there was one piece of advice you could give advisors out there on any topic, what would it be? probably a concept of the four habits of referability. And again, that's come, coming back to, no, I've never heard any, it's just like you've never heard anybody complain about having too much money for retirement. You'll never have anybody complain to your point about, listen, I get too many referrals. I have too many new clients and I have, and again, whether you take them on or not is up to you. Always say please and thank you. People, I think, especially advisors tend to forget that. Mm-hmm. It's not the clients as much as you are advising them and you're working for them. Yep. So make sure that you respect, you're respectful of that. Show up on, t- I don't my first mentor, once told me, and this was maybe just a Philly thing. I don't, I think it doesn't apply in California and maybe not apply in Florida, which is if you're early, you're late. And if you're late, don't bother showing up. And that's, and he lived by that. You know, if somebody was, if, if it's important enough, you'll figure out a way, you'll figure out a way to make it, to make it on time. And in that sense, always being in a situation where you under promise and over deliver. Uh, but that's huge. Making sure that you never, you are never in a position where you don't live up to a commitment that you, that you make to a client specifically. And especially, you can probably use that in every aspect of life. But, and then ultimately at the end of the day, do what you say you will, right? Yep. So it's, it just comes down to making sure that if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And you know, people appreciate that, especially nowadays. And I'm going to, I'm going to, ch- I'm going to ask the same question, but I'm going to ask it in a different audience. New advisors, brand new to the business, 23, 24, 25, 26 years old, just out of college getting ready. As far as you're concerned today, what kind of channels are the best channels for them to be in? And should they go at it alone or should they join, should they join a mentor? Yeah. My, my advice would be join a team. I don't know if there are any companies or BDs out there right now that are actually hiring novice advisors. They used to be all the time, right? It used to be Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Ameriprise, I'm I'm sure Northwestern, but there was tons of them. Nowadays, uh, there's not a ton. And the best thing you could do is try to learn from somebody who's been in the business for 15, 20 years, because that's the person who's going to actually, but make sure it's somebody who's growing. Make sure it's somebody who's actually value-based, not making decisions for themselves, but making decisions on behalf of the clients and in the best interest of the clients, right? Yep. That, that would be my guidance would be find a team, find a practice, find a company that you, that you really believe from a values perspective is in line with yours. Um, and latch on. And, and the best thing you could do would be to grow with them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And always client first. If, if, if it's not client first, if you're learning from Metro, that's not client first, your career is not going to end up very well. Correct. Yeah. Eric, it was an absolute pleasure. Any, of course, man. If, if anybody have any questions or want to want to be able to reach out to you? How can they get a hold of you? You can, I'm always open to an email. It's uh, Eric, E-R-I-C dot Cornell, C-O-R-N-E-L-L at Helios, H-E-L-I-U-S, W-M is in wealthmanagement.com. 
Excellent. And as always, any guests we have on, if you want to email us any questions, we're happy to get, get you in touch with Eric as well. Eric, we learned a lot today. As an independent advisor that just did it three years ago, and I got to be there for you a little bit. And yeah, kind of you, see, were, you were awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and see some of like how you went through it and your processes and how they were unique. It's the same, but also different than yeah, mine. Yeah. I thought that was really neat to see, look, there's a different way you can do it. It can still be successful, but they're very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Know? I mean, it doesn't the process doesn't have to be the same, but the outcome a lot of times is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So as always, you could follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and obviously this podcast will be on, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, all over the place. Thanks again, guys, and we'll see you for the next one.